everybody, what's up? This is Joseph Coyne. Welcome to the ASCA Podcast. What's up, everybody? Once more, I'm back with you for another episode of the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Val Performance. Val Performance are the makers of the Nord Board, which is a hamstring testing system, the Groin Bar, which is a hip strength testing system, human track movement analysis system, and Force Decks. Force Decks are a dual force plate, the best force plate on the market at the moment, guaranteed. Val Performance tries to provide strength and conditioning coaches with the right information to make the right decision at the right time. If you'd like to find out more, please visit their website, valperformance.com, or contact them by email, info at valperformance. So today we have our second episode of our 2018 roundtable. As a reminder, there's four parts. The first one was strength and power. If you haven't listened to the first one, it was an absolute cracker on strength and power, and I highly recommend you listen to that immediately after this. Number two is which is the one we're doing today, is all on energy system development or ESD. Number three is prehabilitation or rehabilitation for the strength and conditioning coach. And number four is the biggest takeaways from professional development courses and recommended books and what a lot of them have learned from those type instances. So as a reminder, on our roundtable, we've got four members. David Watts is the first. He's currently the Geelong Cats AFL rehabilitation and strength and conditioning coach. He also was at the Queensland Academy of Sport 2010 to 2016. The second member, Paul Downs, big experience in rugby union. He's the current head SNC coach for the Auckland Rugby Union. He's been the head SNC coach at Cardiff Blues over in the UK, and he's, been, he's also spent four years with the Hurricane Super Rugby team down in Wellington in New Zealand. Matthew Green is the next member of the roundtable. Currently, high-performance manager Brisbane Lions, AFLW, so the women's team, He's also been High Performance Manager with AFL Queensland's Talent Pathway Program. And last but not least, joining us from Canberra, down at the Australian Institute of Sport, is Michael Speranza. He's a Strength and Conditioning Coach at the AIS. Prior to that, he's had a lot of experience with rugby league at that Queensland Cup state level uh, and did a wonderful job there. Now, in this particular part of the roundtable, we're going to be talking all about ESD, we start off with talking about testing and what each individual does at their respective clubs. Then we move into programming for ESD and the process they go through from pre-season to in-season and how they individualise things based on, the, based on the players they're dealing with. We talk the realities of tri- traditional conditioning versus small-sided games, how you need to account for not just the physiological load but also biomechanical load, especially with these team sports and, and certain ways of achieving this. Paul Downs had some really interesting concepts there and then what they will be implementing in the next 12 to 24 months is always one that I look forward to but this included some interesting discussions on altitude uh, and heat the responders and also practicalities around using those interventions so let's get stuck into it brilliant section on ESD I'm sure you're going to really enjoy this Let's talk about, first of all, with you, David Watts, how do you assess ESD at the Geelong Cats? What do you do there? Um, we've got a, a couple of uh, tests that we use. We've, we've got a basic shuttle test that we use, so a change of direction-based um, test that's around about sort of five minutes in length. Uh, so we think that that's got a little bit more of an um, anaerobic nature to it. Uh, obviously, it's still an aerobic test at that, at that time. 
Um, and then we also just do a 15-minute max run. Uh, it's something that our, our high-performance manager has loved and, and used over a long period of time. And, and I actually personally like it because I think there is a, a certain um, uh, mental aspect to it. Like you, you've got to have a bit of grit to go for a max 15-minute um, run and, and just output as, as high as possible. Um, and we use probably a combination of those two to uh, do our MAS programming from there. Have you done one of those 15-minute runs with the boys? Uh, I have. Yeah, good on you. Good on you. So yeah. you, know, you know about it when you're talking about that grip to get through it. Yeah, mate. And, and coming from a, a field hockey background and doing probably a couple of hundred beat tests over my career as well, it's uh, very, very similar to just a good old-fashioned beat test. So, yeah, just put your head down and go. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. We'll go from the uh, Cats to the Lions and uh, Matthew Green. What what are you guys doing there to assess ESD? Yeah, yeah our staples are 2K time trial. I mean, um, over the, the series of a lot of our, the academy developments and things like that, we've got some good data on 2Ks and some comparable data. So that gives us a, a good opportunity to sort of see their progression through academies and um and where they're at and gives us an opportunity then to prescribe their prescribe their loading off off those. I mean, we're fortunate enough to be a part of a, a really good Bond University study um, that's profiling women's athletes and, and what's, I suppose, what's required to be a women's AFL player. Um, so a lot of them have been exposed to the full gambit of um, the, the draft combine and what that entails. So your yo-yo, intermittent yo-yo test, um, which gives us a, a good aspect to that as well. So um, they're probably our, our two main ones that, that influence our, our programming for energy system development. Mm, cool. So we'll go from Brisbane to Canberra at the AIS there. Michael, what do you do for your ESD testing assessment? Uh, basketball now is a uh, yo-yo IR1. Uh, before that, when I was working with football, it was a um, the IR2. So running at a slightly higher rate in the football, that's uh, what the football boys like doing. Um, back in the rugby league days, um, we did a very similar shuttle test to imagine what uh, Watsi was just describing. So uh, 20 back, 40 metres back, 60 metres back, times five. And that was, um, you know, the, we lo- I like that because our marking was on the field straight away. Um, it, it didn't... It didn't, it didn't take too it didn't take too long to set up. Um, it was and it was great for coaching, like for the actual for the coaches because we could they could easily understand that under five minutes good, over five minutes bad, and they could and that was really it was like really simple uh, in in rugby league when we working the semi professional level, that was great. So you know I love the idea of doing these yo-yos and. The thirty fifteen and and that, but like I, at that level, I just didn't have thirty minutes to set up a, a conditioning test when I just needed something so I could prescribe my MAS or prescribe uh, my conditioning sessions off. That gave me exactly what I wanted, and then I'd also have um, within season I'd have like a little six minute um, little drill that we would run with the, the players, and that could give me sort of a gauge of where they're at. So on whereabouts they would either fail in the in that little six minute block or whether they could finish it, sort of let you know uh, whether we need to do a little couple of top ups with that person or uh, change up the our intensities of our training. So yeah, just a few little things, little hits there. Again, I'm sort of 
probably go I'm probably always go down to the wards the part of I'd rather test within training than out of training. Mm, for sure, embedded within training. And it really makes me think of a like a, a not not very mentioned value of the beat test is that if you get a score of fifteen on a beat test or fourteen on a beat test, most people will know that it's pretty good. If you get a score of seven on the beat test, most people will know it's not so good. But on a yo-yo, you'd be like, yeah, I'd have to look at something to actually figure out whether it's good or bad. And and uh, the, the coaches are like that too. So they raised a great point there, Michael. Um, Paul, ESD assessment in Auckland. Yeah, we're very much down the yo-yo intermittent recovery level one. Um, stuck with it for a number of years. In the UK, it was more the Boucher 3015. Um, but typically in Auckland or New Zealand, you don't have 40 metres of dedicated space indoor, so you can't really repeat it with any real consistency. Um, and we're at the elements uh, or at the risk of the elements here with wind and rain and so on. Um, there's a popularity with the um, 1200 metre tests, so 20, 40, 60. But we've had a real issue with pacing as boys have been trying to get better. They've come up with a bit of a pacing strategy. So guys get better at the test because they're training for the test. Whereas mm. at least with the yo-yo, it's incremental. So I know once they're out, like you're alluding to with the beat, once they're out, they're out. So for me, from a probably a, a more of a purist point of view, I, I stick with the intermittent recovery level one. Mm-hmm. No, I used the IR one when I was in China with uh, the team sports as well, and uh, that, that's. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I all those points you boys have raised are, are really good points. And give us now, we'll stay with you, Paul. Give us an example of, of the program. Like, what would guys do to touch ESD during the during the week, or is it just is it based off the game and what they do in the game, and then you kind of fill in the gaps? What would you do there? Yeah, in in season, the game influences the training week. So um, we periodize and assess based on meter per second zone. So we'll work backwards from nine and look at the meterage covered. So typically we've found that total distance is total distance and volume by and large doesn't really affect the boys, but it's where that volume is accumulated. So we'll be looking at really uh, five to six meters per second as being influential on our uh, high intensity aerobic. And after that, once we've, um, start drifting north of six meters per second. That will that will have an influence on our training volumes per individual on a Monday, Tuesday, leading into a day off. So, um, typically on day one or a Monday, we'll touch mainly on change direction and meters per minute in some flush games, um, without allowing the boys to get particularly fast. And then coming into day two, we'll have a good look at um, max velocity on a Tuesday or a day two morning. Um, as we have done today, and then in the afternoon, we'll look at a high-intensity aerobic um, taxation leading into a day off. Later on in the week, again, it's more acceleration-focused, lower density, lower distance covered, tapering away for captain's run and playing on a Saturday. Mm, cool, cool. That's great cool. info. It really is. It's good. Um, Watsi, from one, one cold place in Auckland to another in Geelong. <laughs> it's starting to warm up. Um, very, very uh, dependent on, um, I guess, the, the competitive schedule, like who we're playing and, and all those sort of things. Uh, but on a general sense, I'd probably say we, we would look to do some form of uh, conditioning on uh, plus two on a craft session. Obviously, as I've said a number of times, kind of dependent on uh, the state of the athlete. But we'd probably look at just doing some aerobic stuff with some basic MAS grid-based work. Um, 
just working anywhere from um, say 100 to 125% of um, MAS. And that might be some simple three, four-minute grids. Um, we'll mess around with whether that's um, active or, or passive recovery. But I'd say largely, if, if you just want to generalise things, we, we might go, okay, guys need a more of an aerobic top-up today. We'll, we'll sit around about 105% MAS. Might do um, three to four minutes of um, with, with an active recovery. So that, that just got to sort of push through a little bit more. And then on days where we're thinking we're a little bit shy on, on some of our higher speed running from, from the game, we might push that, that up a little bit and, and head to the higher percentages and uh, maybe shorten those down but do multiple sets of. So uh, kind of depending on what we think they need from what we're seeing in, in, their, um, in their monitoring. Uh, so obviously the GPS output and then also from what we're seeing from a training effects perspective in their in their heart rate stuff. So I guess we look to the data, see where we need to um, top up and uh, go from there and then obviously uh, individualise as necessary. Yeah, cool. Is, is there a period and, and when you work with them or when, when you decide what you're doing pre-season, in-season, that sort of thing, where you go, okay, we're going we're gonna to work aerobic development, we're going to work anaerobic glycolytic, we're going to work... ATP, CP, are there periods like that? Or is it always the case of this is what they're doing in training and then next week let's top up those those parts to make sure we're adequate across the board? Um, we we kind of put guys, so through pre-season, for example, we'll put guys into groups. So guys, okay, these guys are the ones who are building engines. These guys are the Ferraris who we just need to put more speed into. Um, these guys are the ones who are just on an LTAD plan where we're just managing their football volume. Um, so put them into groups and we're going, okay, for a four-week period here, you guys are building your engine and you're going to see some high volumes, you're going to see some aerobic work. Uh, but then obviously coming into season, we're going to periodize down that effectively so that they're ready to perform. Um, so, so once again, it, it comes down to our philosophy of what does that individual player need and trying not to... Um, put the whole team through just once one training stimulus altogether. Mm, brilliant. Brilliant. Matthew Green. Yeah. I was, yeah. If we start in preseason, we're very much down that, that track that um, we individualize a lot of what we do based on where they're at, whether yeah, they're the, they're the Ferrari or they're, they're building their engine. Um, but a lot of it is a, around a lot of um, aerobic based stuff. Um, just to, to give them a really good base to, to get through the season. And we, pro- we probably found the, the deficits of that in, in year one um, and changed that a little bit. Um, but, yeah, as we're starting to develop a little bit more, it becomes a lot more individualised through that. Um, we use a lot of um, our GPS data to build our sessions around um, small-sided games. I, I know we'll come to this a little bit later, but, how we how we develop that with our coaches and and building our sessions and what that looks like. So uh, for us, each drill is categorised uh, as far as it, is it going to be top end speed, is it going to be low end speed, and and how that's going to work. And then in season, how we manipulate that. And then our our training loads, as Downsy sort of touched on, is sort of yeah time spent in high speeds, but. A big one for us is um, amount the amount of accelerations and decelerations that are, that happen and occur throughout a game really impact how we prescribe later in the week um, in particular 
and, and what that session looks like for us. But um, again, individualized top up throughout the week, depending on high speed meters is, is a big one for us. Um, we've, we've touched on it a little bit, but um, we'll continue to do more of it again um, this year is to top them up through, throughout, the, throughout the season, depending on, on their output um, in a game is probably a big one for us. But continuing to really develop how we, I'm not a big one for running for running's sake. I'm a big one for um, the transference of actually running in a, in a drill or small-sided games and, and how that impacts um, their output. And you obviously get greater buy-in from your athletes. You're not just chasing each other's tails around the boundary line. Sure, sure, definitely, definitely. Michael, example of programming uh, that you do with ESD. Yeah, um, probably going back to my rugby league days, um, these guys have sort of touched on everything that we sort of did in uh, in pre-season. But the big thing with us is that we didn't have the, the GPS um, in a, at a semi-professional level. So we sort of had to go off feel a little bit and um, having, to, having to have conversations with coaches about what are you going to do in your skill session today and then trying to work backwards from there about the sort of uh, things that they're going to hit in their session and make sure that we don't um, double up or, or miss something through that week. So um, I try to uh, work a lot with our coaches and actually condition during their, their skill games or during their skill session so that they would actually bounce from a skill session into a conditioning session back to the skill session and so they could start performing those skills under fatigue or as the, as the coach felt. So that's how we sort of... Um, bounce out a lot I tried to in, the more I was with them the more I tried to integrate their conditioning into what they were trying to get uh out of thing football wise rather than having a this is our conditioning block this is our skill block and this is our weights block so um yeah definitely that's how we sort of um did that and then we tried to go sort of almost a low medium high during season so um if if we found that we could get like an eight day turnaround then we on Tuesday we'd have a fair whack at them um, conditioning wise um, and then try and work from around that mm, awesome awesome it's such a thing like uh, people always bemoan professional footballers for dropping easy passes or throwing bad passes and they're like they're professionals they should be able to do that stuff it's easy for them um, but anybody can do it when your heart rate's been uh, like just above resting for the last five minutes but if your heart rate's been 150 to 180 for the last 10 minutes uh, it's, even those basic skills are terribly hard to do and so that integration between your conditioning and the skills is I think a re- really great idea Hi team, I just want to take a quick break to mention Val Performance who are a great supporter of the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association and also this podcast all of Vald's products, which is the Nord board for hamstrings, the groin bar for hips, uh, the movement track, which is movement analysis, and they've recently added Force Dex, which is the best dual force plate system in the world. All their products have advanced sensors, real-time data visualization, analytics to help you make decisions about performance, asymmetries, and injury risk, which is the bread and butter of high-performance sport. The most important thing, however, is that all these products are easy to use, fast, and reliable. Val Performance and Force Decks, before they've just been joined to Val Performance, have built a reputation in elite sport, research and clinical practice for successfully balancing this combination of being evidence-based, functional, yet easy to use. You don't need a degree in rocket science to be able to use them. Now, although they're predominantly in elite sport, they're not just for elite sport. If you're a physiotherapy practice, a private strength conditioning facility, 
even a high school sports academy or university sports academy should definitely consider looking at their products. Make sure you check out their website, valveperformance.com, and get in contact with them on there. We're going to go now. I want to th- talk about how do you, how do you, what what sort of things do you do? Like, is it more uh, traditional conditioning conditioning pace? We we heard Watsi speak about MAS, maximal aerobic speed for the listeners, or do you use more small sided games, or is it a combination of both? Um, we also heard uh, Maddie talk about building that aerobic base. What what's the sort of what's the sort of process you go through? Um, w- w- with the work, where do you start? Where do you get to? Um, what is it? What is it normally made up of? Um, we'll start with you, Michael. Um, yeah, go well. Most of my conditioning sort of stuff like uh, was back in these rugby league time. So that preseason, we'd we'd go for slightly longer runs um, at the start of the season. I'm not talking about old school road runs, but I'm saying that we we're hitting you know, our six, eight hundred meter efforts. Um, Nice and early, we'd hit those. Um, and then we'd probably move to that uh, maximal aerobic speed training, mostly the, um, the Eurofit, so the 15 seconds on, 15 seconds off, uh, linear uh, running. And then I'd uh, progress that into maybe with a, a one-point turn or, or something in, uh, in there. Um, something that I did develop a little bit more as I went through with my time um, at the footy club was that um, at the start, I wasn't, I wanted to do small-sided games, but we didn't have GPS, so it was very hard for me to um, control what everyone was doing. So there'd be some guys there who could find ways to hide. And that was very, you know, you can't really pick that out um, without your GPS units, and it's hard to sort of argue with them that they're not having a crack out there. That said, at that level in uh, rugby league as well, we had guys that were absolute guns that are sort of, you know, former NRL players who've come back to the state league and they could they could play the conditioning game on their head and they, they, they'd be fine. And so they weren't getting the same sort of hit that everyone else was getting. But, you know, I think it, as S&Cs, we need to be really creative and try and change the rules and make it slightly harder for, for those, um, those people. So I started, you know, in the end I said, I need to get more skill involved in, in what we're doing here. So, you know, in the end, we're, build, we're building rugby league players, not marathon runners. And so I was trying to um, get that in a little bit later on, but it was just a bit in my head that I knew that I wasn't controlling the loads in um, small-sided games as I would have liked to. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, mate, it's, um, I, I totally relate to that. The guys that have been around the game and anticipate better, you try and use small-sided conditioning with them and, They'll, they won't get an ounce fitter. They'll just get smarter, you know what I mean? Or uh, no, it'll work the system <laughs> yep. a little bit better. Um, and yep. I'd do exactly the same thing if it was me as well. And I had some bloke <laughs> trying, to, trying to tell me to run harder or something like that. Um, mate, we'll, we'll go from rugby league to rugby union. Uh, Paul, but what, what's, your sort of, what's your sort of process there? Yeah, so we'll use the yo-yo to kind of get a base of where everyone's at, but then we'll rely heavily on our heart rate measures, so that internal load. So example, if everyone goes for a 3K run, just what's the cost of that? Um, when we're in the off-season and we're just trying to get some volume through, guys, that's fine. Um, but we'll actually manipulate our games. We'll have a game for our unfit guys where just um, if we've got 130 kilo props running around, a bit of rugby netball or 
letting the ball do the work, change direction alone with low meters covered will still have a massive cost for them um, versus guys who are pretty efficient. We'll have to probably take more of a sandwich approach where there's the maybe 120% MAS, um, 15 on, 15 off. But there needs to be a biomechanical cost to that as well because they're just too efficient. So unless we just keep bumping up the running speed, um, we're going to end up tapping into a different energy system. So we might say um, uh, 20, 40, 60, but every time you're on the way back, it's got to be backpedaling or a lateral carrier or a karaoke between the 40 and the 20 marker. So we're just trying to get reasonably innovative with how we challenge um, the reorganization of the feet as well as having the meterage because if we just strap them to a straight line or grid base them, um, we probably get our mileage too high. If that makes sense, we don't need to cover a huge amount of meters to be um, particularly efficient at rugby union, but we do end up needing to be far better at our multi-directional work or getting up, up off the floor, speed to feet work. So off-season, in summary, is volume-based, looking at time spent above 90% heart rate. Later on, in late pre-season and in-season, we still want to watch 90% heart rate in particular, but how we elicit that, we'll try and have a, a physiological and more of a biomechanical. Yeah, for sure. And you raised a really good point. You can be really fit running in a straight line, but when you've got to change direction um, and go back and forth, like rugby league, you're basically running a shuttle run all, all game. If you're in the middle of the park, that's terribly hard to do. Uh, yeah, we, and that's purely they're too efficient um, or far too smart in terms of how they're going to win the conditioning game. So if we go to a conditioning game now, we'll get our head coach to referee it uh, and he'll put some pretty um, – strenuous constraints on it as opposed to when it's the S&C coach that's fine we can manipulate time and have some rules but we just find the exertion goes up a little bit when the big dog's in the middle of the pitch instead mm-hmm. 100% 100% and, and yeah yeah and the, the that foot uh, the change of direction endurance yeah and, and those coach constraints that's great it really is AFL boys David Watts uh, mm-hmm. let's talk about the the ESD Yes, yeah, so like, like I spoke to before, I think our, our staple is the, the MAS running. Obviously, the um, AFL is a, a sport that demands quite a lot of the boys in terms of their run. Um, so that, that's kind of there, and I think most people know enough about that. But the other things that we try to use to, um, I guess, uh, supplement or, or complement that stuff is um, obviously we do a lot of off-feet work. Um, we do uh, contact conditioning as well. So even with some of those simple MAS grids, there might be things that we build into in regards to trying to mirror, say, and our midfielders going from contest to contest where they've had to hit contact, um, get put down, get up off the ground, go to the other other side of the square, get, get hit again, go back down, and maybe those are shorter. But um, I really like what um, Paul spoke to about the regard for both physiological and biomechanical load and so we, we tried to sort of work to that as well and then I got started there for a second but didn't quite finish it off the uh, the off-feet work we do as well especially through pre-season we believe is, is really important stuff um, purely and obviously it's time spent above 90% which which helps us and that's something that we're always looking to elicit and that's probably the thing that we, we try and track most closely um, from, a, from a heart rate perspective. Uh, but we really like so some of our off-feet circuits, some of our off-feet conditioning work that we might do in the gym that, that just is as, as mentally taxing as anything else. 
Um, and, and then lastly, it's just working through um, some different variations of, of running for, for energy system development and, and possibly more uh, mechanical input than anything that we might use hill running or we might use some resistance stuff. But it's still sort of tapping into developing their energy systems in some way. So whether it's physiological or, or mechanical or building the engine, we're, we're trying to find different ways to, to go about it. But with that staple of our MAS running being the, the, the main piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting one too, I think, because obviously they get a whole lot of low-intensity heart rate work when they're doing the technical training, you know what I mean? And, and uh, mm-hmm. if you take stuff from the endurance sports, that's your sort of zone one stuff and uh, yeah. you might just have to come in and top up the high-intensity work with them or, or the moderate-intensity work with them. So, uh, yeah, and, and, and I really just want to reflect what um, Mickey said about the, the smarter, older athletes. Um, like I was saying before, the, the joy of working in the academy program is you get to work across multiple sports. And I've seen it in water polo, I've seen it in hockey myself as a player, I've seen it now in AFL. It's just the guys who are just, sorry, the, the athletes who are just better athletes know how to play the game. So the, the small side of game cost is just so much less to them. Like, uh, watch Jamie Dwyer, a five times world's best player, just roll around small side games in field hockey and make it look like a joke. So if you're not doing traditional conditioning with those guys, it's like they're just missing out big time. So I just really wanted to drill that one home as well. Mm. Is, it, is it a case of uh, you've got a guy that's awesome at the game, um, he needs to do traditional conditioning, and a guy that's maybe an out-and-out athlete, um, but might not be that great at the game. He needs to do small sided games. Yeah, for sure. Like, and that's individual needs. Like, case in point. Mm-hmm. Cool, Matthew Green. Uh, sorry, I've got a, I've got a hand up here from Michael Sprenza. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's see what yeah, he's got yeah. to say. Oh no, I was. Um, that's a really good point by Watsy. But I also think having those smart guys there actually helps those less skilled, less fit players in that in those conditioning games you mm. actually need those guys to speed that game up yeah. same sort of if you think about you know the best football player like soccer players in the world um their conditioning games must be unreal because you know the ball's mm. just always on the foot compare that to someone who, uh, a team who'd be less skilled so uh, i think that you need them in there but you, you can't forget them later on yeah <laughs> For sure, for sure. I think I think there's an interesting stat with Lionel Messi. How he runs the least out of uh, any sort of <laughs> top flight, top flight uh, soccer, soccer players. Like Ronaldo runs like a moderate amount. Cristiano and Messi runs almost none. And it's a five thirty eight uh, um, article I read at somewhere. It was a really good article. Really good article. Uh, Matthew Green, uh, tell us yeah, about what I you're suppose- doing with yeah, I suppose for us, it's um, we manipulate a lot of what our small-sided games is about and um, how we do that. I suppose I take full advantage of how hot it is up here in Brisbane. And I know sometimes my athletes might hate me for it, but our Saturday Saturday sessions are probably one of the, the harder ones that we do. But even just using, using a combination, we do a lot of sort of like even circuit-based training where... They're sort of going from a from a technical drill with their coach to a, a all out conditioning drill with me, and then out to a small sided game. And and as Downsy said, um, we put a, a lot of that in in our head coaches or assistant coaches the way that the small sided games go, um, because you get a lot more athlete buy in there. 
But for me, as far as going back to when we're talking about those those smarter, older athletes that'll just coast in by, I think for me it's um, giving them a lot of education around the expectations around a lot of our GPS parameters and particularly their their time spent in high-speed distances. Um, We've got the luxury of that, that they get a lot of good sort of, they can even get instant feedback as far as that's concerned. So um, for me it's it's definitely using using that combination. Um, but um, as far as the, the way that we, we structure up, it, it's definitely um, utilising our small-sided games and working with our, our skill acquisition guys as far as how we can manipulate constraints so that those lazy guys can't get away with murder in those types of games and even playing around with periodising small-sided games as far as a, a conditioning stimulus is concerned as well. Yeah, cool, cool. Uh, it's it's really interesting. Uh, what what are you excited about? Uh, or what are you wanting to implement in the next sort of twelve twenty four months with the ESD program? Like, uh, are any of you thinking like the altitude, whatever um, breath holding during during conditioning, like hypercapnic work, hypoxic work? Is there anything like that going on? What what do you want to implement in the next sort of twelve twenty four months, Matthew? Um, for me, it's I'm probably more or less continuing on the, the vein of sort of exploiting a lot of the heat stress that we get up here, um, heat and humidity. I don't think you can sort of beat it, and particularly when the bulk of our season is throughout the summer. Um, uh, it's it's something that we need to expose our, our athletes to. Um, we probably didn't see the, the fortunate side of it this year. We... All of our day games we played in torrential rain, um, so we didn't even really get to see the, the aspects of heat this year. But um, uh, outside of that, it, it's continuing to manipulate and, and working closely with skill acquisition coaches about how we manipulate small-sided games because for us, um, yeah, we need to maximise skill development whilst trying to, to develop them as far as athletes is concerned because they're not full-time athletes just yet. Mm, for sure, for sure. Still on the AFL theme, David Watts, next 12 to 24 months. Uh, yeah, look, we've been really fortunate to uh, get a pretty high-quality heat and altitude room put in um, in, the, in the last six months. So I guess my, my big thing will be trying to develop a better understanding of, of those two stresses, um, whether it's using one or the other or in com- combination and, and just starting to develop my knowledge there a little a little further. I guess I have a, a, a basic understanding of, of how each work and, and how I would use them. Um, but I think there's still a little bit more there to be learned um, but for me personally and then also for our profession. I still don't think we've got a full grasp on it. So really interested to see where that research goes um, and then personally trying to find the best ways to implement it uh, for our players. Mm, cool, cool. Heat and altitude, yep, great. Uh, I, do you think it's a case of some people respond to one or the other and some people you have non-responders and responders and uh, do, do you just have to throw them in there and, and see how they go and, and that's how you figure it out? What, what do you think the goal is there? Um, I definitely think there's, there's a few practicalities. Like, I mean, if you've just got a guy who's a really heavy sweater, um, putting him in the heat might not actually be your best way of going about things because the guy's just going to dehydrate and you're not actually going to get the performance benefit you're looking for. But then on the other side of that, you can say that, you know, he's he's going to have to work harder systematically to, to overcome that and whatever else. So it's, 
there's a lot of things to it and and I've seen all the stuff about responders and non-responders to to altitude in the sense that some people are, are just not going to respond to altitude training because they're already naturally um, quite high in in the areas that that's going to produce an adaptation to the athlete. Um, so I guess it's it's a really challenging one, and and why I sort of listed it as the thing that I want to get a better understanding of, so that I can actually put some measures around it and go, well, look, this bloke he's done an altitude um, block before, it didn't actually have any effect. We, we've got to think a little bit differently with him. Maybe it's just heat, maybe it's not. So I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't know the answers at the moment. Um, I do know there's individual uh, variation, and I want to know more about it. Mm, awesome, awesome. Michael, next up, 24 months. As I said, just uh, been planted into basketball and we're really fortunate here that we've got a, a world-class uh, facility. So we've got um, clear, uh, clear Sky installed in the courts, so which basically gives us some um, running metres of what these athletes can do. And that's a big one for me is understanding a, what the requirements are of these guys uh, during basketball and then how what are we doing during training and how can we best uh, prepare for it so that's going to be a big one for me to get my head around and uh, get these guys up to where they need to be yeah cool 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 and Paul Downs next to 24 months yeah we had an interesting experience we went to um, or I went to Hong Kong with the New Zealand Sevens and it kind of set up a little bit of a light bulb. We had two games where we uh, had a pretty dominant performance with no contact. We had a pretty uh, disheartening couple of games where we got destroyed and we were on the receiving end. And two games where we took heavy contact um, and probably parity with the opposition. The summative load score we got from external and internal load was completely different, offered N equals two for the three scenarios. But the testing... Um, that we conducted aerobically would say that all players were the same. So what we've gone away with both 15s and 7s is had a little look at can we come up with a almost like a change of direction test with some straight line running and see what the difference is. So at the moment there's been a, a yo-yo intermittent test but with a down up at the start of each rep and there's been a change of about three levels and that's been recently published but we want to build an in-house one because we've got coaches asking how fit a player is, well, he's fit in a straight line, but is he fit to play? So we just want to play with some in-house testing around some position-specific stuff um, and also more of a vision test from us as a union. Can they, each athlete that we're uh, talent IDing do what we want them to do as coaches? So uh, more game demand testing, I think, will be interesting for us over the next few months. Um, and then comparing a range of athletes, high aerobic, medium, low, and seeing what's the difference when you add in those different components. Mm, brilliant. Exciting stuff. Exciting stuff there. That's awesome, boys. Great, great information about uh, ESD, energy system development. Okay. I really hope you enjoyed this roundtable on ESD. I thought the boys had some wonderful points and it was really interesting seeing how they did things at their respective clubs and through their respective experiences. Before I go, a couple of points. ASCA conference is on at Sydney Olympic Park this year. It's early November. It's going to be a great conference. I'm looking forward to it. The lineup of speakers is great. Des Ryan, for instance, uh, Mike McGuigan, all these guys are awesome, internationally renowned. And look, 
I always appreciate the conversations in between the lectures with, with other attendees or over a casual beer at any, any of those networking functions they have. Great reason to get along. You'd be mad not to go. Uh, it'll be Like I said, it'll be a great conference. I also have to mention Val Performance. And as I said in the middle of this podcast, they're a great support of the ACA and the podcast. If you are interested in any of their products, make sure you check out ValPerformance.com. Again, remember those products are Nordboard, Groin Bar, Human Track, and Forstex. They're a wonderful company, and I'm sure they'll look after you. We're going to be back next episode with more from this roundtable, these four guys, these four experts in the field, with prehabilitation and rehabilitation. I'll guarantee you it's super interesting. I learned a lot. So until next time, I'm Joseph Coyne. This is the AC Podcast. <laughs>